Oh, good morning. It is a joy to worship, and it is a joy to hear children singing praises of the King of Kings, isn't it? Amen. Amen. So thank you, our Kahului Baptist Keiki Choir. Uh, thank you, Mike Hannigan. Thank you, Kelly McCready. What a blessing it is and, and a true uh, pleasure to have them with us. Uh, I do long for and pray for the day that uh, our Keiki rise up and that this isn't uh, merely their parents' church or their parents' faith, but they say, my Lord and my God. This is my faith and, and my church that I am a part of and join with. And so uh, thank you again for so much for your labors, uh, Mike and Kelly, that they are not wasted. The title of the sermon this morning is The Plan of Redemption. The Plan of Redemption. 68 years ago, on December 15th, 1981, this building and the land that's on it was formally commissioned and dedicated to service for the Lord. So happy anniversary, Kahului Baptist Church, of moving into your home. Praise God, yeah. Uh, that just, it just blows my mind what the Lord has done here in 68 years. How he has worked in Maui and across Maui and Kahului and our community through the various ministries and the various members of the church. And this church will last for eternity. You say, wait, what? You hear, you hear that right? This church will last for eternity. You're like, oh, wait, wait a second. That's right, because this building is not this church, is it? This building is a tool for gospel work that we utilize to advance his purposes, and those purposes will be advanced into all eternity. Long after this building uh, diminishes and goes to the ground, this church will exist forever and ever. Amen. And so God is good. Happy anniversary for 68 years of ministry. Uh, thank you to our Kapuna who laid the foundations and planted the seeds. And we are standing on the shoulders of those who came before. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being uh, perseverant through hard times. And may we do the same. Shopping online is really awesome. I love it. You don't even have to leave the comfort of your own home anymore. You can just go to a website to Target, click a few buttons, and they'll deliver it to your door now, won't they? It's amazing. It's convenient. Amazon Prime, awesome. You just buy it, one click, it's done. The hardest part's waiting, though, isn't it? Knowing that something good is coming and having to wait. And so companies realize this, and they're pushing the envelope more and more, so even on the mainland, you can get same-day delivery. You can get delivery within a few hours of ordering something, even, because the hardest part is having to wait. And of course, being in Hawaii, you know, second-day shipping on Amazon is just not happening. It's going to be two days, three days, a week. Will it ever come? Got to reorder it again. You just never know. So it's hard to buy and then wait and not know how long you'll have to wait. This is truly what the Christmas story is, isn't it? Knowing something good is coming, but having to wait for it. And sure enough, he came, didn't he? The greatest gift of all, 
the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Glory, Emmanuel, Wonderful Counselor, He came. And we celebrate that in this time of year. The past few weeks, we have done an introduction, if you will, an overview into the study of Christ. The, uh, we saw His preexistence of the Son. We saw the preeminence of the Son. The theological term for this is Christology. If you were ever studying or looking into these things, Christology is the theological term for this. And today we are going to look at the plan of redemption. The plan of redemption. And so, let's see what the Lord has for us in our text. Let's pray. Father, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Lord, your word is true, and it nourishes us. It even revives us when we are weary and weak. You tell us that by your word, your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. So, Father, would you warn us this morning, and would you draw us to yourself that we may have the highest reward is none other than you. And so, Father, satisfy us with yourself as your word is preached. As your gospel is proclaimed, may you draw many in. There are visitors here today whom I do not know. They perhaps might be the first time here. I pray that you would open their heart, open their ears to hear and to receive, to see that you are a good God, a mighty King, an able Savior, and you are able to show mercy and grace to help in time of our need, and we are all needy here, Father, so would you help us all? And Father, we want to lift up our sister uh, plant, church plant, Waiehu Community Church. I pray for them. I pray that you would uh, give the body there a unity of mind and purpose. I pray they would have a sustaining joy in their labors this morning. And would you build that church? May you save many people. Thank you for the salvation you have already wrought there. And may that continue to spread in that community. And Father, we want to lift up Pastor Elif at Makakilo Baptist on the island of Oahu. We pray that you would be with the elders and the deacons there. Give them wisdom, insight, strengthen their marriages, and may they abide in you. And would you do a mighty work there in Makakilo on the west side of Oahu. And Lord, we do praise you for sparing Doris Todd Christian School yesterday. We thank you for our staff, our, our members who work on staff there, and we praise you for sparing that ministry from the fire and, and so, Lord, we do thank you for that, and would you continue to work in the country, upcountry, and lower country regions of Maui, to the praise and honor of Jesus, we ask. Amen. All right, the plan of redemption. Number one, the plan of redemption. See, Christmas reminds us, one of the things I like about it is it reminds us that God is always at work, isn't he? Even in the darkest times, in the hardest of circumstances, in the bleakest of moments, God is at work. The incarnation, which is the coming of the Son into the world, Hebrews chapter 2 says was in part, he gives two reasons here, in part was to destroy the works of the devil and the power of death, 
and to deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So when you think of the purpose of Christmas, why did Jesus come? What did he do? What was his goal? At least two of those goals are announced here. To destroy the works of the devil and to deliver those under the power of death. Now, if we break that passage down, Hebrews 2, 14 to 18, it's incredible. If we were to break it down, we would be here all morning, all day even. But I'm going to leave the breakdown, the nuanced breakdown, to your personal study, your reflection. Have fun with that. It will blow your mind. What I want to briefly note this morning is I want you to see the presence of the plan and the purpose of of the Son in His coming. So let's read verse 14, 15, and 17. We're going to read those passages. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. So there's Christmas right there. Starting to see the the Christmas story come into focus. Since therefore the children, that's us, share in flesh and blood. He Himself, that's Jesus, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be, and here's Christmas, here's incarnation again, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now next week, we're going to get into that sharing in flesh and blood. We're going to get into that being made like his brothers in every way. And right before Christmas with our, the presence of God, we're going to talk about the incarnation and just zoom in on that next week. But this week, I want us to hone in to see the Christmas story begins before the entrance of the Son of God into the world. So we started to see this with his pre-existence, but now I want you to see not only does the person exist before his entrance into the world, but there is a plan, a purpose that existed before his entrance into the world, of which it is a part. So our culture is just fascinated right now with uh, origin stories, origin stories of heroes. The very first one to kick off the origin story of the heroes would be the, the famous Batman Begins from Christopher Nolan, right, with uh, the story and Christian Bale and how, how did Batman come to be? So not just the, the mighty hero, but his origin story, right? And then you see this played out across uh, Marvel for the past decade, showing us how these different heroes actually came to be. And now when we think about the Christmas story, really we're thinking of an origin story, But it's unlike any origin story ever, is it? See, the origin story of Christmas doesn't begin at his birth. It begins before the foundations of the world. And it is an origin story for which there is truly no beginning. Because God is without beginning. 
and without end. And so, his entrance into the world is the working out of his plan and the fulfillment of the promises of God. And you say, what was that plan? In Hebrews, two terms. That plan is to break the power of death, to deliver his people. And that plan has been in motion for longer than we often take time to consider. Now, we could spend all morning with the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the birth of Jesus. That would be a worthwhile endeavor. But I want to do more than just the Old Testament prophecies. What I want us to see is that this plan of redemption has been at work in a mind-blowing way. Let's hear the witness of the apostles. We'll start in Acts chapter 2 first. Acts 2 verse 23. Hear the witness. Let's see this plan of redemption in play. And what I want you to ask is, when did this plan get set into motion? That's what I want you to think. When did this plan get set into motion? Acts 2, 23. This Jesus delivered up According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so there we see there is a plan behind the crucifixion of the Son. There is a plan behind the incarnation, his entrance into the world. We see that right there. You say, well, that doesn't say much yet, so let's keep going. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. Check this out. We're jumping right in the middle of a passage here, I understand. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. This is what God did. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So God saved us. He called us to a holy calling not because of what you do, right? It's not what you do that saves you. It's what he did. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. When did that begin? Did that begin at your salvation? The day you got saved? Is that when it was given to you? What's this say? Let this blow your mind and just think on it. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus, when? Before the ages began. Wow. That should stun you. When you read things like that in the Bible, you should just stop and think and worship. Before the ages began? How? What? How, how, how does that even... He saved us and called us to a holy calling because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us before the ages began. Incredible. It's not the only place we see this. Revelation 13.8, some of you recall this, who are here for our Revelation series. Revelation 13.8 says this, talking about those who worship the beast, the first beast, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So the Bible speaks of this beast rising out of the sea. 
And it says, everybody will worship this beast. And we saw what this beast was in Revelation. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to it, Revelation 13. Might blow your mind a little bit. But everybody, he says, will worship it. Except, and what is the defining factor of those who do not worship the beast, who are not deceived by it? Everyone whose name has not been written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And when, was the name, when were the names written there? You have to ask. When were the names written there? Before the foundation of the world. So what we see, and we could just spend literally all morning doing this, what we see is that the plan was already in action. This is an expression. The coming of the Son into the world is not the beginning of the plan of redemption. It is an expression. It is the culmination. It is the fulfillment, the arc, the peak, the pinnacle of that plan coming out to play. And we see this plan already in action in the very first chapters of the Bible, don't we? The very first chapters of the Bible, we see this plan unfold in human history for the first time. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis three fifteen. God is now, they've disobeyed, they, they ate of the tree, Adam and Eve, and now God is doling out curses and punishments. And he's talking to the serpent now. In Genesis 3.15, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so here we have this promise of hatred between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman, that these two would be at odds. And one day, the woman would produce an offspring that would crush the head of the serpent. This is Genesis 3, right in the beginning of the Bible. We don't know nothing about Jesus. We don't know nothing about Israel yet. We don't know anything about any of these things. These are the opening scenes of the Bible. And now here's a promise. One day, serpent, you messed up. One day, an offspring of a woman is going to be born, and he's going to crush your head. You're going to hurt him in the process, but he is going to crush you. That's the very beginning, and the plan unfolds. And from that point on, if you read the book of Genesis, they're looking for that one. They're thinking it's going to be it. Maybe it's, it's Cain. Maybe it's Abel. Oh, nope. They, they murdered the other one. Maybe it's Seth. And, and then they just go on and on. Maybe it's Noah. Maybe it, and you trace it out. It's Isaac, the son of promise. Nope, not him. It's Jacob. Nope, not him. And on and on, they're looking, they're waiting, they're discerning the times, the seasons, when these things might be. And listen to what Paul says in Galatians 4.4. 4. I love this passage. Galatians 4.4, 4, the Apostle Paul. Listen very carefully to his words. Remember the offspring of the woman. Listen very carefully, Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, and he'll go on in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Is it any accident that Paul wrote like that? Is it any accident that Paul wrote the fullness of time? Here it is. God sends his son. Christmas. The son comes in. He's born as a baby. The offspring of a woman. She was born of the Virgin Mary. Born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. No, that's no accident, beloved. God has had a plan since the beginning, before the beginning even, to send His Son into the world, to destroy death, to destroy the power of death. And this plan, He wields all things, creation, nations, people, and time itself to bring about the salvation and redemption of a fallen people for the glory of His great name. All things He wields to that end. This is the purpose of God. This is His plan, the plan of redemption. Let's move into application, and we'll end here. We'll move into application. So we've heard the testimonies of scriptures to God's plan. And now we see that he created time, that the God who created time itself, which is kind of hard to think about because we exist in time, don't we? We have no comprehension of what it's like to exist outside of time, but God actually rules and reigns over the stream of history and interacts in time and unveils himself to us in time. And so these things are hard for our brains to even begin to comprehend, but we see the scriptures say that God who created time wields it for his purposes of redemption. So what does that mean? It's good news. Here's what it means. If you are God's child, time is always on your side. If you are God's child, time is always on your side, even when you don't feel like it. Even when it doesn't seem like it. Think about this with me. Brainstorm with me on time for a minute. Many of the things that cause us stress have an element of time to it, don't they? There's a time component to perhaps even most of the things that stress us out, that bring us pain and hardship. Either something's not happening fast enough. I can't seem to get a job soon enough. I haven't heard back from them yet. I'm still waiting for them to get back to me. Or something in my family. Uh, I, I want to have a family. Or my family's getting too big and they're growing up so fast. It's happening perhaps too fast. Or I would like to be married and I can't seem to find a spouse soon enough. Or I have a spouse and they're not proposing, or uh, a significant other and they're not proposing to me soon enough. I'd like that to be sooner. When are you going to ask the question, right? Uh, or health. I want to get better faster. This morning I have a cold and I don't like to have colds and my throat hurts and I have an ear infection and it slows me down and I want to speed up but yet these things hurt and others of you are in the same way. I want to get better faster. A lot of our prayers, Lord, heal me quickly, please. That's a good prayer. You should pray that. 
There's a time component to some of these things. It's not happening fast enough, or it's taking too long. Why haven't I changed yet? Why haven't I heard back from them yet? Why do I still have this struggle? It seems like I've had it forever, and I can't gain victory over it. Or perhaps it's general things. I want to know something now. How will this play out? And I want to see it now. Or I'm worried about what might happen in the future. Heaven forbid you miss your wife's phone call on a plane. Because all of a sudden the imagination, oh, you done died. Right? Oh, he died. The plane crashed. I'm a widow. Making my arrangements now. Right, right? These types of things. The brain goes ahead into anxiety into the future. You see? Or some of our greatest regrets flow from time we wasted or spent on fruitless pursuits or past sins committed. So some of our greatest regrets flow from as we reflect on our use of time or misuse of that time. Truly, much of our stress and pain has elements of time to it, don't they? And so this is tremendously encouraging for us this morning because as a child of God, time is always on our side because the God who created time wields it for his redemptive purposes, for the good of his people. You remember the story of Joseph? Not Mary's Joseph, Jacob's. Remember Joseph said in Egypt at the end of his life in Genesis 50? I love this passage. It's Genesis 50, Jacob dies. Dad dies. Here's Joseph. He's been estranged from his dad for much of his life, not because of anything they had, not because of beef they had, but because Joseph was sinned against greatly by his brothers, and they sold him into slavery. They lied to the dad about it. And his whole life was changed. And so after the funeral, the brothers are fearful that Joseph is going to take vengeance. The brothers are thinking, oh, Joseph was just being nice while dad was alive. And now that dad is dead, the brothers are fearful that Joseph is going to revenge, payback time. And so they ask Joseph, in effect, they make up a story, another lie. They asked Joseph, in effect, to forgive them for the great evil they did to him. This evil altered the course of Joseph's entire life. Think about this evil. No birthday parties with the family. No celebrations, no graduations, no holidays, no rejoicing over the family dinner table. He missed all of it because of their sin against him. How do you even apologize for something like that? How how do words even begin to express the magnitude of ruining somebody's life when you literally did that? You see? This is a heavy passage. 
And so that's what they're trying to do. They're not sure how Joseph will respond. And in this incredibly emotional pinnacle of the story, one of them, Joseph begins to weep as they recount the evil they did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for this evil we did to you. Forgive us. And his response is to weep. That response is worth an entire sermon, by the way. But he weeps. And then he composes himself and makes a stunning statement. He says this in verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Beloved, one day, all of us are going to look back. All of us will survey our life one day, and we will all look back and say with Joseph, what you meant for evil against me, God meant for good. What I meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. One day we will say that. Because the reality is for the child of God who created and rules over time, time is always on our side. Beloved, God has a plan for your life. You need to know that this morning. God has a plan for your life and is working right now even in a seemingly dark time, for your good and his glory. That's as true of your life today as it was way back in the book of Matthew chapter 1, the Christmas story. That's the first thing we see. The second thing, we'll close with this application. So for the child of God, time is on our side. Survey your past history. Look towards to your future hopes and see that God rules and reigns over it for his purposes. The second thing is because God wields time for his purposes and his plan, he calls us to live in the present and to entrust him with the future. He calls us to live in the present. He invites us. He, we could say, allows us to live in the present and to entrust him with the elements of time, with the future. A lot of times I think we're like children, aren't we? Children always want to know what's happening. I love this about kids. They always want to know, what, what are we doing today? What are we doing today? And if you tell them in the morning that tonight we're going to Fun Factory, later on we're going to go to Fun Factory. We're not going to Fun Factory tonight. It's just an example. If I tell them tonight we're going to Fun Factory, in the morning, what's going to happen the rest of the day? Is it time yet? Is it time to go yet? Is it almost time? What time is it? Are we there yet? Is it soon? When are we going? How much longer? What time is it now again? Can you tell me what time? I don't know how to read the time. Can you tell me? What? And they're just, I, I want to get there already. I want to get there. Their minds are preoccupied with there. And as a result, they're not enjoying what's now, what's around them, what's here. There's something incredibly freeing about just being like, you know what? Don't worry about it. I got it. There's something incredibly freeing 
and we tell our children this, there's something incredibly freeing about not knowing what's happening and just enjoying what's around you. And I thought, wow, this is exactly how God works. This is exactly how he works. He doesn't tell us the future. He doesn't tell us what's going to happen. I want to know what's going to happen. I want to know when something's going to come to fruition. But he doesn't tell us that, does he? He says, I got this. Matthew 6. You can entrust the future to me. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. The Lord knows what we have need of. He will care for us. And so we can be like children in these things, and yet the Lord, in his kindness, he frees us to entrust the future to him so that we can enjoy the blessings of the present. So I want to encourage you this morning, let your heart for Christmas find rest in his provision. Look around you. Don't ask, well, what about this? What about that tomorrow? What about all these things in the sense of being fretful or being anxious or wondering or fearful? Don't, don't ask those types of things, but rather look around you. Look in your family. Look in your home. Look at whatever it is the Lord has given you and enjoy. And enjoy what he has given you. Be at rest in your Father's provision as he rules the future. And finally, I want to close with the promise. Here's a promise. I want to close with the offer of life in Jesus. Some of you may be here, like I said, you, don't, you might not know him. Maybe you came with a friend, or you were invited, or it's your first time here, or it's your first time in a long time. I want you to know that he came to destroy death and to deliver his people. So that all who repent, who turn from their sins, who, who see the things that bring me pleasure but don't quite satisfy me, he invites you to leave those things and turn to Christ. To find true joy, lasting pleasure, forgiveness of sins in and through Jesus. And you will find that he is merciful to sinners. He is faithful to intercede, and to offer help right when you need it. And so the real joy of Christmas is that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is available to everybody who will come to him. He came once, and he's coming again, as he promised. We know something good is coming but it's hard to wait, isn't it? But let us wait in hope and eager anticipation and join in singing now when he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring. Then anew this song we'll sing. Hallelujah, what a savior. Let's pray. Father, You've come once. We praise you to see your plan of redemption working out. And you have promised to come again. And so, Father, may we wait in eager anticipation and hope. May we give ourselves to living a holy life, pleasing to you in every way. And, Father, may we see that you do rule and reign over time so that whatever's happening in our lives now, 
the final word will be, as Joseph said, what those meant for evil, you meant for good. And so, Father, may we say this in faith and in hope for the day to come when we are with you. In Jesus' name, amen.